I'm Dennis Tubergen. You are listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. Glad you decided to listen in today. Hey, joining me on today's program is my special guest, Mr. Michael Pento. He's a returning guest. Always appreciate Michael's perspective, and he'll be joining me in segments two and three of today's program. If you have not yet ordered the April 2022 special report that we're making available, I would invite you to go to the website, requestyourreport.com, and request it. I'll be glad to send you the report as well as bonus information that I believe will be timely, and we'll talk more about that in this segment. The April report is titled Negotiating the Quadruple Threat, the Devaluing Dollar, Sinking Stocks, Bubbling Bonds, and Climbing Commodities, Strategies for a Crazy World. Uh, that is the title of the April report. To get your copy, visit the website, requestyourreport.com. And uh, the report talks about the fact that we may be entering a time that will be referred to historically, potentially, as a perfect economic storm. I believe that policy blunders by central bankers and politicians have helped these storm clouds to form and build. And uh, the economic storm that's coming is going to have to be intense. And I'll talk more about that uh, with my guest today, Mr. Michael Pinto. So in the April report, we look at the U.S. dollar stocks, bonds, and commodities in light of recent world events. And we give you strategies to consider using in your own personal financial situation moving ahead to help shelter you from the storm that I'm forecasting. So again, the April 2022 special report is yours for free uh, with no obligation by visiting the website requestyourreport.com. Now, if you have been a longtime listener to the program and listened to last week's program, you know that the big news in the financial markets worldwide is that Russia has now tied their currency, the ruble, at least loosely to gold. And I want to talk about that more in today's segment. Now, as I noted, long term, this move will likely be bullish for gold and negative for the U.S. dollar. Now, if you look at the U.S. dollar index, you'll see that the U.S. dollar index has the dollar in gaining in strength. The, U the U.S. dollar index has moved higher, in fact, significantly higher over the past couple weeks. Now, when you see that, you need to understand that the U.S. dollar index is not an absolute measure of the dollar's purchasing power. It is a relative measure of the purchasing power of the U.S. dollar. The U.S. dollar index measures the U.S. dollar's purchasing power relative to the purchasing power of the Japanese yen, the euro, the Swedish krona, the British pound sterling, the Swiss franc, and the Canadian dollar. So while the U.S. dollar is purchasing more than these other fiat currencies, it is not gaining an absolute purchasing power. And we all know that. I mean, all you need to do is visit a grocery store or purchase any consumer item, and you quickly realize that the U.S. dollar is losing absolute purchasing power. So when we see the U.S. dollar index strengthening, when we see the U.S. dollar index going up, it simply means that the dollar is gaining purchasing power relative to these other currencies on a collective basis. Now, getting back to this move by Russia, as I mentioned at the outset, Russia has now loosely tied its currency, the ruble, to gold, 
and required that any country that Russia, Russia deems to be unfriendly to use rubles or gold when trading with Russia. Now this, as I said, I believe is the biggest economic news of our time, as big as when President Nixon in 1971 eliminated the convertibility of the U.S. dollar for gold. Now it's interesting that at the time Nixon made that move, the ultimate implications of that action were not widely understood at the time by the populace. Nixon went on television and suggested that he could lay to rest a bugaboo that this would mean the U.S. dollar would lose purchasing power. He stated that if you're going to buy a foreign car or travel abroad, your dollar might not buy as much, but he stated that if you buy domestic goods, your U.S. dollar will buy just as much tomorrow as it did today. Of course, that was certainly not the case. Now, I think you could say that this move by Russia is also not widely understood by the populace. And I think it has the potential to be a catalyst for big currency changes globally moving ahead. Now, in 2011, I wrote a book called Economic Consequences, and in it, I introduced the concept of a currency money cycle. And the whole idea behind the currency money cycle is that over time, Currency evolves. Initially, currency and money are the same thing, with precious metals being used as currency. Precious metals are also money. And in this particular circumstance, money is defined as something that has a, is a good place to store wealth over time. It's a good store of value over time. That is true of money, but it's not true of currency. Well, over time... Currency evolves to a fiat currency, and then as you near the end of this fiat currency cycle, fiat currencies have a 100% failure rate historically, then we see that gold is once again introduced as currency. And I believe that is what may have happened with Russia making this move in response to U.S. sanctions. Now, these changes, this, this currency money cycle, this evolution in currency takes place slowly. It's taken more than 50 years for the U.S. dollar to lose 98% of its purchasing power. The U.S. dollar has been the preferred currency for international trade since 1944 when the Bretton Woods Agreement was adopted. That is the agreement that made the U.S. dollar convertible to gold at a rate of $35 an ounce. That is the change that Mr. Nixon made in 1971. At the time, he said that they were temporarily suspending the redemptions of U.S. dollars for gold, but ultimately, that temporary suspension became a permanent suspension. A couple years later, an agreement was struck with Saudi Arabia to sell its oil exports in U.S. dollars in exchange largely for military favors. Now, as has happened many times throughout history, you can go back to the Roman Empire and see that currencies evolve then as well, with the denarius eventually failing. And now we're seeing currencies begin to evolve more rapidly. Now, many years from now, 
Looking back, as I said, I believe this move by Russia could be viewed as a catalyst of major currency changes that are yet to come. It really depends if other countries now follow suit. Now, past guest here on this radio program, Mr. Peter Schiff, commented and brought to light some comments made by a gentleman by the name of Pavel Zavalny, who is the head of the Russian parliament. Mr. Zavalny made comments recently addressing the subject of economic and financial sanctions. And as Schiff points out, Mr. Zavalny indicated that gold is going to be paramount in protecting Russian wealth. And Schiff points out that role could likely get bigger and it could create a paradigm shift in how the world does business. Now, Russia has a lot of natural gas and they have a lot of oil. It sells a lot of natural gas and oil to the world. Now, Mr. Zavalny, in his statement, made it very clear that Russia is very happy to sell oil and gas to the world, but they want hard currency. Well, what is hard currency? Well, it's not U.S. dollars. This is what Mr. Zavalny said, quote, If they want to buy, let them pay either in hard currency, and this is gold for us, or pay as it is convenient for us. This is the national currency. As for friendly countries, China or Turkey, which are not involved in the sanctions pressure, we have been proposing to China for a long time to switch to settlements in national currencies for rubles and yuan, which is the Chinese currency. With Turkey, it will be lira, the Turkish currency, and rubles. The set of currencies can be different, and this is normal practice. You can also trade bitcoins. Essentially, they'll take anything but U.S. dollars. Zavalny made a uh, bit of a poke at the U.S., saying that Russia has no interest in dollars, saying, quote, this currency turns into candy wrappers for us. So a lot going on in what is arguably a crazy world. If you're just joining me, the information contained in the April Special Report might help you sort it all out. The April Special Report is titled Negotiating the Quadruple Threat, Devaluing Dollars, Sinking Stocks, Bubbling Bonds, and Climbing Commodities, Strategies for a Crazy World. Visit requestyourreport.com and I'll be glad to send you a copy. I'll be back after these words. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Joining me on today's program once again is returning guest, Mr. Michael Pento. Uh, Michael is the president of Pento Portfolio Strategies. He is also the host of a terrific podcast titled The Midweek Reality Check. You can learn more about both at pentoport.com. Michael, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me back on, Dennis. So, Michael, I think the, the, the big story here, a couple big stories, but let's start with uh, inflation. Uh, the, the, the official number now, 8.5%, just released this past week, which is, uh, as we know, a, a manipulated number. It's probably much higher than that. Uh, the Fed is now taking action uh, to control inflation, but 
to use an analogy that I like, it seems like they're using a garden hose to try to put out a forest fire. What, what's your take? Okay, so uh, what you said is accurate. Inflation is much higher than the way they calculate it. Let's go through the numbers. So CPI, as you mentioned, 8.5%. Producer prices up 11.2% year over year. Import prices up 12.5% year over year. But if you look at reality, rents, your cost of buying a new house, the cost of beef, your cost of energy, year over year, they're closer to 20%. So that's the reality. The, the reality is that the rate of inflation today is higher than it has ever been. And I'm sure if you calculated it the way they did pre-Boskin Commission and all the hedonics and substitutions, you know, if you can't eat meat, you could always graze on your lawn. Um, well, it's 20, it's 20%. That's the inflation rate. So you say that, in, you know, the Fed's taking it seriously. I, I hope they are. They say they are, and they, they threaten to take it seriously. And I think they will. But as of right now, they haven't done, you know, diddly squat in, in economic terms. Um, what have they done so far? So we are in the middle of the first month of the second quarter of 2022. And inflation has been raging like a inferno for about a year. And what have they done? They've raised basis, uh, uh, the Fed funds rate by 25 basis points. That's it. They still have a $9 trillion balance sheet. And they've only raised rates by one quarter of 1%. So they say they're going to raise rates 50 basis points in May. I hope they do. They say they're going to do another 50 basis points in June. I hope they do. And what about this balance sheet, Dennis? When are they going to start to aggressively wind down the most important thing when it comes to inflation, which is the size of the monetary base, the amount of base money they have in the system, the liquidity that banks have to lend? When are they going to do that? They say they're going to announce it officially in May and, and quickly ramp it up to $95 billion a month of quantitative tightening, which is the destruction of money. That's the most, that is the most effective way you could ever have to fight inflation. I like to see them get on the ball as fast as possible because inflation is destroying the purchasing power of the middle class. It's causing food riots all over the globe. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that comes here to America, if we don't make sure that people can eat and afford to live and buy a home. They have priced out the first-time home buyer from the real estate market. And you know who bought those, ho those houses instead of the people who need to live in them and to get equity and, the, and a share in the American dream? Blackstone. Wall Street did it. Thanks, so, thanks to the Federal Reserve, Dennis. Thanks to the Fed. So, so Michael, uh, there's a recent development relating to, to currency that I want to get your take on. Um, as a, as an, in response to the sanctions uh, imposed upon them, Russia now has loosely tied the ruble to gold and demanded that any unfriendly countries that want to buy any products from Russia uh, use rubles. Um, what's your take on how that impacts inflation, uh, probably in Europe first, but, but here in the States uh, as time goes on? 
Well, short term, I mean, listen, I've been long the U.S. dollar, not because I love the U.S. dollar as a hedge against inflation in the United States. When you say long the dollar, I've been long the dollar in the portfolio since March of 21 because I knew that it would appreciate greatly against things like the euro <laughs> and Madame Lagarde over there, who's so petrified to actually even wind down her asset purchase program, let alone raise interest rates. Or against the horrific Mr. Kuroda in Japan, who – forget about raising interest rates in Japan. In Japan, they're afraid to even wind down their version of QE, Dennis. They're ramping it up to make sure that the 10-year note in Japan stays at 0%. <laughs> and that's why the yen has started to crash. So the dollar is a, a buy still as we head into what I call sector one of my five-sector investment spectrum, inflation, deflation, and economic cycle spectrum. By the way, if you don't know what sector one is, that means deflation and depression, because that's where I think we're headed if central bankers continue to undertake this inflation fight. And I don't think they have any choice. And the reason why I don't think they have any choice, and I'm talking about Mr. Powell and the merry band of money printers at the FOMC, they cannot ignore 11 percent, eight and a half percent, 12 percent. 20% inflation because the voting constituency of Democrats who are currently inhabiting the White House and in Congress need to make sure inflation goes down before the midterm elections happen in November because they're going to get wiped out like they've never been wiped out before. So there's a tremendous amount of pressure to front load these rate hikes and quantitative tightening. And I believe I'm, I'm going on the basis of the thesis of that they're going to have to aggressively fight inflation. Now, you asked me about the U.S. dollar. The U.S. dollar is going to lose its hegemony in the world. It's definitely going to, um, because, of, because countries like India and Pakistan and uh, Saudi Arabia and China, Russia, of course, they have to uh, remove themselves from the effects of sanctions. So, if, if, you want to, if you want to immune yourself from the effect of U.S. hegemony and U.S. dollar uh, hegemony and the US threat of U.S. sanctions, you are going to have to back your currency in something other than dollars. In other words, your reserves can't be in dollars. You can't own U.S. treasuries and accept dollars for your exports if you want to protect yourself from dollar hegemony and from U.S. sanctions. How do you do that? The best way to do that is what Putin did and what Xi Jinping is doing. Buy yourself as much gold as possible, back your currency in gold, and then accept gold for your trade. That's what's happening. So, Michael, I mean, what, what we're really seeing, I mean, when you study history, uh, fiat currencies have a 100% failure rate, and yep. eventually we get back to using some gold-based system, uh, whether loosely tied to gold or, or gold's actually used as, as currency. Is this move by Russia the first step in that direction, in your view? I mean, I, you know, it, I would love to say yes, but listen, this is the truth. Governments don't like to lose their control over their currencies. And if they were to cede their currency to a gold backing, back it in specie, as it once was in the foundation of this great nation, 
which once was America, where we would actually tie the increase in the money supply to the mine supply increase in gold. Well, that would, that, would, that would take a lot of power away or a lot of optionality away from the U.S. government. So in, in times of uh, a pandemic or whatever, whatever crisis du jour that they come up, with, come up with, by the way, the latest crisis now is every time the stock market has a downtick, the Fed comes to the rescue. And that's what they've been doing pretty much uh, systematically since 1987. <laughs> but you, know, you don't have that optionality anymore when you want to live in reality. But what government wants to live in reality? What do governments do, Dennis? They promise bread and circuses, ask the citizens of Rome. And how, do they, how does the government supply bread and circuses when the government does nothing, produces nothing, little to nothing? Well, they print it. Or they take uh, metals, precious metals, out of the coins, out of the denarii. So this is how they. This is how. This is how they bankrupt a nation. That's what they've been doing since the foundation of time. And I don't think it's going to be done voluntarily. In other words, nations don't voluntarily go on gold standards unless there's a crisis, and there will be, and there is an incipient global crisis in the developed world happening at this very moment and it's going to get a lot lot worse michael in the time we have left there's a, a big move towards central bank digital currencies uh which are really just digital fiat currencies is this really a, a, just a kind of more evidence that uh, the, the 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 central bankers are becoming a bit desperate uh well listen when when the central bank um, resorts to a like a Fed coin, I've called it a Fed coin. Um, then we're in real serious trouble. I mean, we're, we're already in serious trouble, but then we're really, really in serious trouble because all autonomy is removed from the U.S. citizens as far as being able to hoard money or to buy things without the government seeing what they're doing. So the government's going to have complete control of your currency. They will actually be able to circumnavigate the treasury. So the Fed, the central bank of the United States, will be able to, through your digital wallet that they're going to give you, they're going to be able to give you money and take money away from you at their desire without the will of Congress involved. If the Fed wanted to stimulate the economy, they could just add coins to your wallet. And if they wanted, if they wanted to stimulate inflation, they could say, say guess what? These coins will evaporate at the rate of 10% per annum. So if you don't spend them, they're gone. What do you think would happen to the velocity of money? Oh, by the way, if you don't have the exact political doctrine and the correctness that the government thinks that you should have, they're not just going to uh, ban you from Twitter. They'll take money away from you. So this is, the mo this is probably would be the most dangerous thing that could happen. To, to freedom is for a CBDC to be enacted by the Federal Reserve or by any developed world. But I think that's where we're headed because if you want to, if you ever want to have complete control of the monetary system, complete control of the fiscal authorities without any checks or balances, a CBDC is the way to go. Well, we are chatting today with Mr. Michael Pento. He is the founder of Pento Portfolio Strategies. He is also the host of the terrific podcast, The Midweek Reality Check. You can learn more about both at pentoport.com.
I will continue my conversation with Mr. Michael Pento when RLA Radio returns. Stay with us. You are listening to RLA Radio. I am Dennis Tubergen, and I'm chatting today with Mr. Michael Pento. If you're just joining us, uh, Michael is the founder of Pento Portfolio Strategies and the host of the Midweek Reality Check podcast. You can visit pentoport.com to learn more about both. And, Michael, I'd just kind of like to pick up where we left off in the last segment. Uh, You know, the Fed is, uh, as you mentioned, whenever there's a downtick in the market, uh, there's been interventions to, to... you know, protect the market from from uh, falling. This this plunge protection team, as it's been called. Um, you know, in 2018, when the Fed started to tighten, they immediately reversed course when the markets reacted negatively. Aren't we going to see the same thing again? No. Now, let me be very clear about my my position here. No, the optionality to do that is gone because of inflation. That's the one thing that's different now than every other condition since 19 the early 1980s. Inflation, Dennis. We talked about in this previous segment how high inflation is, the way they report it, the Bureau of Labor Statistics. In actuality, it's 20%. It's destroying Americans' purchasing power. It's destroying their standard of living. And they have a choice. The Federal Reserve has a choice. It's a very, very distinct choice. There's two paths they can take. And and please listen to this very carefully because this is what's going to happen. The Fed could mamby-pamby when it comes to rate hikes, because after all, we are in the second quarter and the stock market is down significantly. In fact, 30%, a third of the S&P 500 is down 20% or more. People are not making money in the stock market. Their incomes in real terms are falling. They're getting crushed by inflation and all the pandemic relief programs have been exhausted and that savings hoard is down to zero. In fact, if you look at savings, the aggregate amount of savings is lower today than it was prior to the pandemic in January 2020. So the Americans are hurting, and that's why they're tapping their credit cards at a record pace. So the Fed, the Fed can do two things. They, they could maybe like you know tinker around fighting inflation, maybe don't do much with the balance sheet at all, and maybe raise rates 25 basis points every few meetings. That's you know, just to protect the stock market. But guess what's going to happen in that point? Long-term duration bond yields will continue to skyrocket. And why would I say that? Because if inflation's at 20% and the Fed's balance sheet is at $9 trillion and they do nothing as far as fighting inflation, guess what happens? Interest rates won't be 2.8% on the 10-year note. They'll be more like 12% on the 10-year note. Now, what do you think a 12% 10-year note would do to the stock market and to the real estate market. Take a guess. You talk about, take, you talk about a, a wipeout like we've never seen before. So if they do what I just said, the former, the first optionality, they're going to have a huge problem in the stock market, a collapse in asset prices, and have an inflation problem. Still, a worse inflation problem. Alternatively, they could do the right thing, which is fight inflation aggressively, get it down closer to their ridiculous 2% target, which is 
part of the problem in the first place. That means 50 basis point rate hikes, maybe two or three times, front-loaded, in other words, in the first few quarters of 2022, second quarter and third quarter, not the fourth quarter, second quarter and the third quarter, and an aggressive wind-down of QT, which means draining the balance sheet, burning base money supply to the tune of $95 billion a month by the third quarter. That's the pace it'll be on. Much, much, much stronger than what happened in 2018 and 2019, when, which caused the market to collapse anyway. Remember the paint-drying exercise? Well, that was only $50 billion a month that ramped up very slowly. Now it's going to ramp up quickly to $95 billion. That will lead to a deflationary depression, which, of course, will be followed up with massive QE and probably universal basic income. So it's, it's, it goes like this. Inflation now running hot. Then a crash. They were gonna, Fed is going to break something. The soft landing scenario is not possible. Not a chance. Not when, not when the stock market is 185% of GDP. That's just silly. They're going to break something, cause a deflationary crash in the economy, cause a deflationary crash in asset prices, and then we'll wait and see what they do. Now, I think the Fed is going to come out with some massive QE program again, which would dwarf any other program we've ever seen before. And I also think it has to be married with something with, from the Treasury Department, some kind of you know, universal basic income. And then you're going to, then you're going to get stagflation like we've never seen before. Because that's, that's, that's just reverting back to the same um, tactics that caused the problem in the first place. So we'll see. We'll have to, this is why, De, by the way, this, Dennis, this is why the 60-40 portfolio doesn't work anymore. I mean, this is why you have to have an actively managed strategy. You have to invest for inflation and deflation at various times. I mean, the S&P 500 is down 7% this year. Long-term bonds are down 16%. The QQQs and the NASDAQ are down 14%. So you want to buy and hold your balanced portfolio, you're going to get wiped out. No matter what they do, you have to be aggressive and you have to be flexible in your investments. And that's what the IDEX strategy that I created, the inflation, deflation, and economic cycle model, is all about. So, Michael, let me go back and, and just uh, make sure that uh, all the listeners understand both of those outcomes because option one is the Fed continues to create currency and we get a hyperinflationary outcome followed by a deflationary depression. The other option is that the Fed does the right thing and, and preserves the currency, to use those terms. Those are my words, not yours. And we get a deflationary depression. Um, is, is that a fair assumption of uh, you know where it you is. think we're headed? It is. And none of those things happen by, I mean, they're forced to happen. So the Fed doesn't do anything right up front. So remember that member inflation was transitory and they couldn't reach 2% for years and years and years. Then they finally got to inflation. And then they said, well, don't worry about it. It's transitory. Then it went from 4% to almost, you know, double digits. In fact, 20% if you measure it in reality. Well, now they're, now they're saying, well, we, we're, we have no choice. We're now forced to fight inflation. And they, if they, they can't bring it down gradually from, you know, double digits down to like 4% in the next few months. That's just not reality. That, that's not the nature of inflation. It's not the nature of asset bubbles. Not, they don't have a very good control over what they do and the outcomes they produce. So they're forced to fight inflation. They're going to wreck the credit markets. They're going to com completely freeze the issuance of junk bonds once again. 
Stock markets will crash, the economy will crash, and then there'll be another reaction in arrears after that crash. Now, for me, this is retirement radio. We're talking, I mean, do you, do you or your clients, our listeners, want to suffer a 30, 50, or 80% decline in, the, in nominal terms of their portfolios and hope that the Fed can turn things around? They didn't do it in China in 2007. That didn't turn around right away. It's still below where it was, the Shanghai Composite Index. Japan is still waiting to get back to even for what happened in 1989. (laughs) So, you know, I can't and you can't or should not want to suffer the buy and hold BS that you hear from CNBS (laughs) for a a 30 to 80 percent decline in your retirement plans and then hold your breath and cross your fingers and hope to get even in the next decade or so. Not what, not what you want to do. And, and Michael, you know, with, with this outlook for stocks, uh, the stocks are going to have to decline. Um, and if interest rates are going to have to go up, that's bad news for bonds. So, you know, this traditional 60-40 portfolio that, that you mentioned, I mean, the, the stock and bond portion could both lose money at the same time, which goes counter to everything, you know, retirees and aspiring retirees have heard from traditional practitioners, if you will. Well, um, it's happened already. I just, met, and I just mentioned your 60-40 portfolio. You're down double digits so far for the year on your 60-40 portfolio. Now, you have to make a difference between sovereign debt and, and uh, junk bonds and corporate debt. So I think there, there's going to be a rally um, in uh, sovereign debt because people fly, you know, flock to that for safety. Um, but watch out. Beware. If, you're, if part of your 60-40 strategy is corporate bonds, and Nasdaq stocks, high beta stocks. Oh my! I mean, you're you've you've already been wiped out, and your pain has just begun. Because people sell riskier debt, and they flock to the U.S. Treasury as safety, which I believe is going to happen again. So just be careful of what debt you own and when you own it. And but by the way, then you then when the Fed comes and tries to fix everything, you know, sometime in 2023 after they they break it again. The last thing you're going to want to own is sovereign debt of the United States. That's the last thing you're going to you're going to want to own. Bonds of any fixed income of any spec across the spectrum is going to be a sell. So that's what I meant by being an active in an active managed strategy. Michael, in the couple of minutes we have left, uh, what's your outlook for precious metals? Well, right now we are max long uh, gold in the portfolio. Um, and the reason for that is because we think growth is going to slow dramatically. Inflation is going to come down slowly. So we're looking at disinflation on the second derivative basis. Um, and we've reached the peak. In, in, I, th- I think this print of inflation is the peak that we just had released in April for March. I think inflation slowly, and let me reiterate that, slowly starts to go down. That, what that means is that the rate of change of inflation is going to go from 8.5% to, say, 7 that's all, that's all that means. That doesn't mean that prices are going to fall. That means they're going to be going up slow, more, more slowly. But growth is set to plunge. Okay? So that, that means that uh, gold loves when growth is plunging. Because when growth plunges, interest rates fall. And when growth plunges, real interest rates start to fall. And that's what I think this whole gold bull market has been all about. And it's still in the it's still in its infancy. Now 
let's just play this out real quickly. When the liquidity, when the liquidity crisis occurs, everything gets sold except for dollars. It's a huge uh, rush to acquire liquidity, which is dollars. So the U.S. dollar will continue to rise, which is, I think is part of the reason what, what is happening with this very bullish dollar that we have right now. Um, you want to own a lot of cash in your portfolio. You want to have shorts in your portfolio, and you want to have sovereign debt in your portfolio. So that gold will suffer in a truncated, very, very short period of time when, when, the, when the shadow banking system and everybody's you know, lunging for liquidity, everything gets sold. But then after that, when the Fed acknowledges to everybody that, hey, this, you know, this is not a pandemic problem. This is not a COVID-19 problem. The problem is that we can never defend the value of the dollar. We can never defend the value and the purchasing power of our sovereign bonds and our assets that we have in the United States. That's, that's the message that they're going to send. I'm not going to say – I'm not saying it's different than what's going to happen in Europe or Japan. I'm just saying that inflation – don't forget, the Roman, the Roman Empire had massive inflation, and there was no currency crisis in Rome vis-a-vis you know, their trading partners. It was an internal problem, a debasement, you know, the removal of precious metals from their coins, debasement. Okay, That's going to happen here in the United States too. So when that happens, that's going to set off, I think, a multi-year explosion in the price of gold, especially physical gold. I'm not talking just about miners. I'm talking especially physical gold. So that's, that's the scenario I see playing out. So again, being nimble, is, nim, being nimble and flexible in your portfolio is crucial. Well, we're going to have to leave it there. My guest today has been Mr. Michael Pento. The website is pentoport.com. You can learn more about Pento Portfolio Strategies and check out uh, Michael's podcast, The Midweek Reality Check. Michael, always a pleasure to catch up with you. I really appreciate your perspective. I know the listeners do too. Love to have you back down the road. I look forward to it. Thank you. We will return after these words. Listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Thanks again to my special guest on today's program, Mr. Michael Pento, for joining us. If you're just joining me, I have an offer for you to get our April special report. It is being offered for this month only. It's titled Negotiating the Quadruple Threat devaluing dollars, sinking stocks, bubbling bonds, and climbing commodities, strategies for a crazy world. All you need to do to get your copy of the report is visit requestyourreport.com. I'll be very glad to send you the report as well as some bonus information that I think you'll find to be timely. Well, as I mentioned in the first segment, uh, the big news of late is that Russia, in response to U.S. sanctions, has now tied the ruble to gold loosely, and they're requiring that any country they deem to be unfriendly to Russia to use rubles or gold in trading with Russia uh, for their natural resources. Now, Peter Schiff, a past guest here on the RLA radio program, commented on this. 
And in his article, he referenced an op-ed published by MarketWatch, written by a gentleman by the name of Brett Ahrens. Now, Mr. Ahrens points out that this could mean a lot, as I indicated in the first segment, depending on whether or not other countries follow Russia's lead. If China and India follow Russia's Russia's lead, uh, it could mean a lot. And Mr. Ahrens notes in his op-ed piece that a lot of countries simply aren't thrilled with the United States' ability to control the global financial system with a monopoly on the reserve currency. Ahrens also says this adds to the the argument for having gold in a long-term investment portfolio, something that we've been talking about here for a very long time because we understand the currency money cycle. Now, Aaron says this about gold, quote, not because it is guaranteed to rise or maybe even likely to, but because it might and might do so while everything else went nowhere or went down, like in a geopolitical or financial crisis where the non-Western bloc decides to challenge America's financial hegemony and King Dollar. Now, Aaron's is a self-declared gold agnostic, but he says it's got uses. He said gold is completely private. It's completely independent of the SWIFT or any other banking system. And despite the rise of cryptocurrencies, it remains the most widespread and viable global currency that is not controlled by any individual country. Now, Schiff points out that moves made by Russia in recent weeks could represent a huge paradigm shift in global finance. Many countries have been building toward this for years as the U.S. has weaponized the dollar. Schiff points out that, in effect, Russia put the ruble on a gold standard, and that is now linked to natural gas. Now, Russia, in case you're wondering, is the fifth largest has the fifth largest gold reserves in the world. Russia did cease buying gold during the COVID-19 pandemic. However, the Central Bank of Russia resumed gold purchases in early March before suspending them again a couple weeks later. Now the Russian Central Bank has said they will buy gold from local banks beginning on March 28 at a fixed price of of 5,000 rubles per gram. Since Russia is now insisting on payment of natural gas in rubles, they've linked the ruble to gold, which means natural gas is now indirectly linked to gold. Now, Russia could do the same thing with oil. An article on Zero Hedge said this, quote, If Russia begins to demand payment for oil exports with rubles, there will be an immediate indirect peg to gold. Then Russia could begin accepting gold directly in, its, in payment for its oil exports. In fact, this can be applied to any commodities, not just oil and gas. Well, in response to this, the U.S. and other Western powers have tried to lock down Russia's gold. But Mr. Ahrens, in his op-ed piece, explains that's virtually impossible to do. This is what Mr. Ahrens says, quote, Despite some laughable suggestions that the West might somehow sanction Russian gold, there's no way of tracing the identity, nationality, or providence of bullion. 
American Eagle coins or South African Cougarans can be melted down into bars. Gold is gold and someone will always take it. Carry a Krugerrand to any major city anywhere in the world and you'll find people willing and eager to take it off your hands in return for any other currency that you want. Now, as I mentioned in the first segment, back in 2011 when I wrote the book Economic Consequences after the Fed had started on this program of quantitative easing, I noted that the Fed would ultimately determine whether the United States experienced deflation or inflation followed by deflation, which is exactly the conversation I had with my special guest today, Mr. Michael Pento. Eleven years ago, I reasoned the outcome would depend entirely on monetary policy, and that still seems to be the case, although we are now nearing decision time. I'm running out of time for this week, so if you've not yet requested the April special report titled Negotiating the Quadruple Threat, Devaluing Dollars, Sinking Stocks, Bubbling Bonds, and Climbing Commodities Strategies for a Crazy World, I'd invite you to go to our website, requestyourreport.com, to get the report. Again, the website, requestyourreport.com. That's our program for this week. Hope you got something you can use. I'll be back again next week. <laughs>